Well, I guess we're recording. <laughs> okay, that's good Smooth, to know. Smoothest intro ever. Hi everybody, welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimgard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar until now. And I didn't know what you were getting me into. <laughs> because now we have arrived at the finale of season two of Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm still spinning from this. I don't know. Did you watch this today? If, if you're in as much pain as I am, please tell me. <laughs> I've seen this finale about a million times. So it's not as like. You know, it's not as fresh for me, but yes, I did rewatch the the final two episodes of season two today just for this. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's a whirlwind. It's a whirlwind. I know there are a few people I know uh, who are following our podcast who uh, have decided to watch Avatar for the first time and they are watching the episodes and then and then watching uh, listening to the podcast. And boy, oh boy, mm -hmm. guys. I know that you are probably spinning the same way I am, but we'll get into all the details, <laughs> starting, of course, with episode 19, The Guru. Uh, this episode was written by Michael Dante DiBartino and Brian Konietzko. It was directed by Giancarlo Volpi, my man. Mm -hmm. Animated beautifully, by the way, by DR Movie. And the episode mm -hmm. aired December 1st, 2006. The IMDb rating of The Guru is a respectable 9 out of 10. Yes, sir. And we have a couple fun facts for this today, for this episode. Um, the scene between Aang and Guru Patik is reminiscent of a scene in The Empire Strikes Back, where Luke leaves Yoda after seeing a vision of Leia and the others in trouble, despite Yoda telling him that his Jedi training must be finished before he leaves. This is like a direct ripoff. <laughs> Did you like catch that when you were first watching it? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. As soon as he was like, I have to go save her. I was just immediately in my head. I was like, no, Luke, you must complete the training. Right. <laughs> no, there is another, another avatar. <laughs> um, yeah, no. And it's so funny. Cause like this wasn't written by Dave Filoni and yet you could have fooled me because it is like a direct parallel. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so as I've been saying from literally the first episode, there's so much um, like Star Wars influence. And I think that this is where it's the strongest and the most overt, um, while still being its own thing, obviously, that still falls in line with the story. But it is basically the exact it, same thing. It's just um, corporate wants you to tell the difference between these two pictures. They're the same picture. <laughs> the Avatar leaving and Luke leaving Dagobah. They're the same picture. But you, but but you, but you know what? It's a give and take because while Avatar takes a lot of influences from the greatest saga, you know, the greatest space saga ever told, you know, the the new Star Wars does draw a lot of influences from things as we've talked about uh, Kylo Ren and Prince Zuko. Like you know, there's there's a little give and take. The Star Wars influenced Avatar. Avatar influenced Star Wars. Oh yeah, for sure. And we'll talk more about that in the second episode. Don't oh, you worry. Lord. Um, Oh yeah. So our second fun fact is that initially concerned about how the episode would be received, Brian Kanietzko later uh, learned from friends of his who were professional yoga and meditation instructors that they used the lessons in the episode with their own students. Now, 
as someone, I don't know how much you know about chakras or what they were delving into in this episode, but as someone that knows nothing about it, like I genuinely felt like I learned something cool about the different chakras and what like, you know, blocks them and how to, you know, set them free or whatever, how to unblock them. Um, So it doesn't surprise me that, yeah, some, you know, yoga and meditation instructors actually use this as a sort of guide for beginners like mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. Um, I know quite a bit about it. As, as I talked about in the last episode, I have that, um, you know, key energy in the martial arts book um, that I mm-hmm. did a lot of studying on. Um, I have done a lot of, of meditation as part of my martial arts. Um, and it is, you know, it's a it's a good intro it's a good explanation of of chakras and the way that it works as far as energy movement in your body um and i 100 percent back up the not necessarily the oh this chakra does this and this chakra does that this was very very detailed um mm-hmm. but i definitely you know definitely the the illustration of the water flowing from chakra to chakra and having the pools that flow into each other was was a very very good very good guru patik you explained mm-hmm. it very well <laughs> very authentic cool and this also kind of leans into the second fun fact but the third fun fact is that the changing hand positions used by ang while opening the chakras are actual positions used in real life called mudras mm-hmm. mudras um to open the chakras while meditating these are like those different hand symbols or like not symbols but like gestures that people do when meditating and mm-hmm. like doing yoga i guess from what i understand mm-hmm. yeah no uh the mudras are are important in meditation um Obviously, any type of meditation, I blended a different, a lot of different type of meditation uh, art myself. Um, just found what were, I thought worked best for me as far as poses and positions, mindsets, um, ways to prep, uh, whether you were doing it in silence, out in nature, outside. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of a lot of connect, connectivity in meditation between um you know the thoughts and the emotional state which the episode does an awesome job with and i kind of took a couple notes for myself where i was like huh that's really good all right um our fourth fun fact is that this is the first time that ang openly admits his love for katara that is like a really big one for me because i think Obviously, we've known from the get-go, from day one, that, yeah, they were going to be endgame, that they were going to end up together. But, like, to actually hear him say, I love her, I love Katara, like, that is such a big milestone for their relationship and for it to happen in basically the finale of season two. It's just, like, yeah, I don't know. It gives me the feels. (laughs) Like, oh, (laughs) they've grown so much together. They're so sweet. How much time is supposedly has passed in are the characters aging at all? Or is or are they still like kids? Is he still 12 and she's like 15 or whatever? Well, so yeah, he's 12 at this point, and Katara is, I believe, 14. Yeah, because I think Sokka's 16. Um so yeah, no, they it's been I think it's been half a year at this point since they met, like about six months or so, um, because the entirety of Avatar, like from season one to season three, is about a year. Because if you remember when Roku tells Aang, hey, this is when the comet comes by the end of the summer next year. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that, that kind of is the time span. It's about a year. Um, so they all age up by the end of the se- of season three, a year. Um, I mean, I was just you, can, you can tell that. Yeah. 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 You can tell by their designs, by their voices that they do age up a little bit. Um, nothing too drastic, obviously, but 
Um, yeah, so... Well, we had talked about oh, it being sort of a puppy love between him and, and Katara, and so I was just mm -hmm. curious if any appreciable amount of time had gone by where the characters were aged up at all for such a, you know, a, a strong and you know, mature statement uh, to come out of him concerning his relationship with oh, yeah. Katara. I mean, he's a hundred years old. He can love whoever he wants, but, you know. And, you know, they've only saved each other's lives about a million times at this point. So, <laughs> pretty much locked it down. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, our final fun fact, and this is just kind of an added on one that you told me to put on here. Um, it is a fun that... fact. It's a very fun fact. <laughs> Um, that the Guru and the final episode of the season, The Crossroads of Destiny, actually aired together as a two-parter called The Crossroads of Destiny on Nickelodeon when it first came out back in, you know, 2006. So this is another, this makes sense, obviously, to be a two-parter because it's the finale, mm -hmm. but this is yet another time where they were marketed together as a two-parter despite not actually being a two-parter. Like, it's right. not The Crossroads of Destiny part one and two, it's the guru and the crossroads of destiny. <laughs> so they just were like, eh, it's basically, they feed into each other. It's a two-parter. It's well, fine. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't this like the third time that it, that's been done in season two? There was the uh, the Fury of, of the Avatar or whatever it was, Aang's Fury. And then there's this one, Crossroads mm -hmm. of Destiny. And wasn't there a third one? Yeah, there was the Secrets of the Fire Nation, which was uh, the drill and I think a, uh, the Serpent's Pass and the drill. I think mm -hmm. those were the two that were put together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know why, why they did that for this season. I mean, you could just package the entire season as one giant movie because it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, because you know, we've talked about how in season one, there's a lot of times, eh, very early season two, maybe debatably, but like there's there's episodes that aren't don't have anything to do with the main plot that are like kind of side trips and you know they they get called filler episodes um, by people who don't care for them. But really, it, 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 if you could make the argument that the filler, quote-unquote filler episodes in season one were necessary to the plot, at least in some aspect of them, season two for sure. Like, everything mm. flows into everything else. If you miss an episode of season two, you you come back in the next one like, what, what's, what's going on? Where are we? I have, I have no memory <laughs> right. of this place. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, It's it's all... And again, that's why I love this season so much is that it was a pretty bold move to move from like a more episodic type structure to a more serialized with a sprinkling of episodic episodes. But mm -hmm. for the majority of the season, like I said, it is pretty much one giant movie with one, you know, goal or focus. You know, we got to get Appa. We got to get to Bossing Se. We got to tell the king about, you know, the secret invasion of the Fire Nation. Like these all feed into each other. And I love that. And I think it makes for such tight strong writing that keeps you watching mm -hmm. because you got to make sure that they get the goal finished like you're like oh my gosh we've been leading up to this this whole time like what's gonna happen <laughs> so yeah. and then to see it all crumble and just completely just oh yeah we'll get into it but <laughs> i mean i mean even watching um, the guru things are already going so incredibly wrong let's start let's start though where we left off with the whole meditation thing with guru Pratik because that's okay. where the avatar is where ang is in this episode and um again kind of jumping back to what we started talking about during the during the fun facts i really enjoyed it i gotta say it was my favorite part of the episode was the explanation of the chakras and going through them and it was really i really thought it was superbly written 
I, I really think it was mm -hmm. great because it made it all very easy to understand and it drew and I, I I was sitting here thinking to myself when they did the first one and I'm like are they really going to go through all seven is that what they're going to do are they really going to do that yep. I hope they do because it would be really dumb to just kind of like oh do it off screen or something and be like now you open the mm -hmm. first chakra very good and then like we jump ahead because they're like yeah we're not going to pack like a whole big spiel about seven spirit you know chi chakras and inner energy into a kid show no kids are going to watch this we'll just when, when you get to the seventh chakra we'll make it like a big thing but no they they put all of them in there and it was great um mm -hmm. and i mean i gotta say that while i was watching it i was kind of pausing after each one kind of taking note a little bit and going is my chakra open do i have like regret or fear or pain or things like that holding me back and it's a, oh, yeah. a good introspective like it, i mean you've watched the series since a much younger age and seen it many more times than i so i mean for you like what kind of impact has this episode had for you because i feel like it's pretty impactful for a viewer oh for sure um i did the exact same thing especially this most recent um where i just kind of had to pause after each chakra and just kind of think about my own like kind of reflect on it for myself and it really like it's it's very powerful and emotional shit to go through. Like I didn't, I wasn't like sitting there like doing the meditation and all that, but just like thinking about it, like, man, that's, I, I need to reflect on that later. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, life is messy, like Guru Patik says. And so um, I think that it was really cool, not just for me and like for the viewer to like, kind of, you know, look at themselves and kind of place themselves where Aang is, but to actually see Aang go through that process and like the reactions he has to opening the different chakras and like basically getting a synopsis of his entire character within these seven chakras, like, you know, his backstory with leaving and the guilt he feels about that and his biggest fears and his attachment to, you know, the worldly or the worldly attachments that he has to Katara and to, you know, his family. And so like everything you need to know about Aang is demonstrated through, you know, opening these chakras. And I really love that as a sort of just like a synopsis of his, him as a character. Um, I was actually kind of surprised that this wasn't written by uh, Lauren McMullen. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> she would have been like, ah, oh, I should have written that. <laughs> She's just leaning over their shoulders being like, now do this. Make sure that shot right. goes in there. Make sure the clip from that episode goes in there when they start talking about his regrets. Right. Exactly. Um, but uh yeah so i i really love it i love that the different colors that they use uh symbolize the different chakras you know using the mm -hmm. colors of the rainbow working up from red all the way up to purple at the end um great symbolism because purple is um, my favorite color so of course it's the final color when it all comes exactly together exactly same <laughs> i love that we both that's <laughs> our favorite color is purple it's the best color guys um so any time where you've watched the episode and reflected on these things for yourself, I'm just really curious. At the end, did you ever find yourself just floating above the earth and see like this giant ethereal version of yourself with a swirling ball of energy between your palms? No? Fortunately, I can't say that I have. I've not gotten to that higher state of being yet. <laughs> uh, but... You have to unlock the Amanda Tar state. You have to. Yeah. Um... <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I think that it is, like I said at the beginning, a really good kind of introduction to chakras. And you're just cracking yourself up. <laughs> I am. My brain went to Amanda Tar, the last script bender. <laughs> oh my God. That is my new brand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I really love all of that. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, I, there's not really much else to say. I think that we kind of, or I kind of covered everything that I really love about that part of the, uh, the episode, which obviously is kind of the A plot. Yeah, it really is. And I love Guru Patik as a character. I mean, he's kind of just the Yoda. Mm -hmm. He's the unassuming guy found in a desolate place purely by accident. And it turns out he's the one there to guide the Avatar to the ultimate, you know, key to his power. Mm -hmm. um, I love, by the way, that he mentioned that he's a personal friend of Monkey Atza. Mm -hmm. I thought it was really cool. And I'm just like, man, this guy's old. Yeah. You'd be surprised how old some of the people in Avatar live to be. <laughs> Kiyoshi actually, funnily enough, Kiyoshi lived to be 241 years old, I believe, or 240. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of really old people in this world. Man, that onion, that onion juice and banana, <laughs> and banana juice banana diet. <laughs> right. Yep. That actually, <laughs> It'll do a lot for you. That moment actually gets me, not the not the funny, but when, um, I think it's when he opens the, the heart chakra, and yeah, when mm -hmm. he, it's just like he's crying, and I told you, nothing makes me cry faster than Aang crying, <laughs> mm -hmm. and like, he just says, can I have some onion and banana juice, please? <laughs> Baby, <laughs> I love him so much. That would be like you someday when you know that your child is actually yours when they come knocking in your room at like the door to your room at 11 o'clock at night and they're just like, can I have some onion and banana juice instead of can I have some water? You're like, that's my child. My baby. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I know. That, that always gets me. It chokes me up. I'm like, man, that's some good voice acting right there. <laughs> I was wondering, though, with the very last one, what it was going to be that was going to hold him back. And as soon as they're like, you know, they might they might have taken a page from Revenge of the Sith mm -hmm. with you must learn to let go of all that you fear to lose. Yeah. <laughs> and if only Anakin had done it, he would have unlocked the Anakin Atar state. <laughs> and oh, would have been God. able to defeat Sidious. I'm sorry. It makes me angry. Anakin with the Avatar state would be horrific. <laughs> right. The world. The galaxy. The last force bender. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, um, no. It, seeing, seeing, though, that, that compromise that he couldn't make, that it was Katara, mm -hmm. it really is huge. Because I really do love the inner conflict, though, too, where the, the logic side that kicks in, where he's like, wait a minute, I thought the whole, like, loving and caring for people was a good thing, and now it's a bad thing, like, you mm -hmm. know? And, you know, not to say anything bad about the philosophy behind it, but, like, you know, lots of belief systems can be flawed, because, you know, sometimes when they're little, they, they ask something that is, pushes us outside of our humanity, the argument can be made either way is is our attachment and our humanity a, a barrier between us and something greater or is it good for us to stay attached to investment in things we ought to care about and maybe both depending on who you are maybe both are right yeah not to get too deep into it or anything but like i've never understood the whole you know in in many cultures the getting to a higher plane of existence or a higher mental state or whatever, like, you know, un unleashing your worldly tethers and like, you know, having no, like, I don't really get that. Cause like, first of all, you don't know what happens when we die. Nobody does. 
we can hope that things happen or hope that things don't happen, but in the end, we don't know until it actually happens. So why give up what you know you have here on earth, your family, your friends, your loved ones, whatever, your possessions, why give all that up so that you can reach some higher plane of existence, but you don't like, I, for me, I don't get it, but I'm not trying to shame people that do believe in that kind of stuff. It just, oh, yeah. it, to me, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, I mean, I completely see where you're coming from on it. The the thing I think, though, that is important is not so much that you don't care and don't take care of the things. It's, I would say, a little bit more refined in a weird way. Uh, weird for me to say this is the more refined version. But in, in Revenge of the Sith, Yoda doesn't tell Anakin to, like, to stop caring about everything it's more about fear of losing it if you right. if you hold so tightly onto things that you let it get in the way of things that more are more important you know there are people who money is the most important thing it's not always you know a, some person your dearest friend or the person you love some people are obsessed with fame or or or, or money where maybe for them getting rid of that that thing that holds that attachment that power over you is is a useful thing but i gotta tell you leaning forward a little bit to the next episode i think uncle iroh has a little bit more of the better philosophy about it personally yeah <laughs> <laughs> the uh the episode also has a great thing um moving away from ang and and the guru i love the reunion between Sokka and his dad oh yeah yeah that that <laughs> that got me too like that i I've never cried at that scene in particular, but for some reason this time I started tearing up. I was just like, oh, Sokka. He's like, this has been like, everything he's done up to this point has been leading to this moment, basically. Because, um, you know, from the very beginning, he has been the warrior that was left at home to care for Katara and the village. And, you know, to him, that was a bad thing. That meant that he wasn't manly enough to go off to war with the other men, with his father. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that he was left to basically babysit. When in reality, it was the exact opposite. Like, and he's had that mindset of, I have to be the leader. I have to be the strongest. I have to be, you know, the one in control. And like, just to see him be surrounded by, you know, the water tribe men of his tribe and his dad and just like being so happy. And, you know, I just, oh man, it gave me all the feels. <laughs> and and speaking as a man it's good seeing that that wholesome like men male interaction right there where you see you know when you're with other men it's different it's different you know than being in a co-ed environment and you know lots of people have all kinds of ideas about you know when men are together that we just you know check out hot girls on tinder or we drink or we make dirty jokes and smoke cigars yeah. and that's all we do but and yeah, sure, that's true. That's definitely true in some circles, a hundred percent. But this is great to see, and it's great to put on display. You know, as I I'd like to say, you know, there's a lot of great messages in Avatar. We've known that since the very early episodes. But you know, this is one that's aimed at young men, and you see that expectation. You see that worry that you're going to meet, you know, a father's expectations. Yeah. Um, and, and, and an older man, you know, putting you in charge of something and you feel like you have to prove yourself. You feel like you have to live up to the responsibility. Um, and it's a lot of time for men, it's because, you know, it's a man giving a younger man or, or a younger boy, you know, um, a responsibility. And you look up and you're like, well, this is what they would do if they were here, but they're not here. So I have to do it. And so you worry that you're going to measure up to them 
because you're acting in their place. And so there's a lot of going to that person feeling personally responsible, being like, I'm acting in your place, so I hope I'm doing an okay job. And so for you know, Sokka's father to affirm for him that, you know, he's been there all along because he's a great warrior. Well, why would he leave him in charge of everybody else if he didn't know that? Is right. is a truly a truly affirming thing. And like Asman definitely felt that that I was like, oh, feels yeah. good. Yeah. I I love I mean, I said it in the last episode, but I love Hakoda so much as a dad character. Like he's kind of like perfect animated dad. <laughs> like he loves his kids so much he's always just trying to do the right thing by them and you know for his tribe and all that and just such a great guy um and i love that he has the terrible sense of humor just like Sokka does like that's where he gets it from <laughs> this like very corny, <laughs> terrible sense of humor that's very charming but bad like you know? i literally had it written down in my notes that i love that they have the same sense of humor it's so <laughs> right. good yeah i call it the stink and sink <laughs> Good one, Dad. <laughs> and then Bato's just like, oh my god, you two are so related. <laughs> like he's just like, I can't wait for this war to be over. <laughs> right. I just want to go home. Uh, yeah. Been stuck on a boat with this guy for who knows how long. Technically it's been two years, but um yeah, no, I, I love all that stuff. Um yeah, so let's talk a bit about um talk, because it's a very minor part of the episode, but very important that it introduces a very um crucial bending subset of bending <laughs> okay okay so i have something to tell you the other time in a previous i don't remember if it was the last episode of the episode before you said something to the effect where you were like yeah toffs take Toph for example she's a really powerful bender she's like the world's most powerful earth bender but i mean she can't bend metal and i was just <laughs> and that stuck in my head and i have thought about it every single day since you said that i like wake up in the morning i'm brushing my teeth i kid you not and i'm going but why couldn't she bend metal why couldn't she washing my beard in the morning and i'm just like isn't after all isn't metal just refined ore from the earth i mean <laughs> driving to work i'm like thinking about it. metal equals earth <laughs> and some people make the argument of like how is she the first person to have thought of that like you know because metal is just refined earth but the thing that they don't really take into account or don't think about is that Toph is not a normal bender Toph has to feel literally sense the earth using her seismic sense so she can see the fragments of the earth inside the metal that others can't and that's how she's yeah. able to, you know, bend it to her will. And so, yeah, this is a feat that has never been done before. And, like, it always shocked me as a kid. I was like, oh, my ha, God. That's a feat. That's so uh, funny. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that was <laughs> totally on purpose. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, personally, like, I'm not a huge fan of earthbending as a, as a, like, bending form. Like, it's not my favorite. Um, but metal bending that shit slaps <laughs> i love that's thing. awesome and it it only gets cooler in legend of korra like legend of korra they go all out with metal bending and it is some of the coolest shit you'll ever see it's awesome <laughs> um yeah <laughs> so i just seeing it being birthed in this you know season with Toph, just the idea of the sub bending it just and, and when better than the actual fall of the dirt kingdom i'm here for it <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. I've been I've been waiting for the collapse of the Dirt Kingdom since episode one of season two. <laughs> uh, you're such a racist. <laughs> Those ben, filthy, ben, dirty ben. earthbenders. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and speaking of the fall of the kingdom, we've got Azula there playing to the extreme arrogance of the Earth Kingdom. The Earth Kingdom is just awful. Come yeah. on, they're just awful. Is there any part of the Earth Kingdom that's good? No. <laughs> no, not really. God, Azula is such a cunning, evil bitch. I love her so much. <laughs> She's. It's great. Like, this is like. I just, I can't even, she's like a Game of Thrones character. She's that cunning and that evil. And she's 14. I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> like, it's easy to forget that she is literally younger than Zuko. She's Katara's age and she's doing this. She's literally took over the <laughs> Earth Kingdom. Like, oh my God, what a queen. <laughs> Honestly, she deserves it. She deserves it. Um, but yeah, I love seeing her and Mei and Tai Lee kind of infiltrate the Earth Kingdom by using the uh, Kyoshi warrior disguises and you know, I just... love Ty Lee when she's just like you're so confident I love it <laughs> you got a huge girl crush on Azula <laughs> same uh, but uh <laughs> yeah no I I love all that and the I love because as a kid I didn't see this coming um was it this episode no, actually, it's the next one. So I'll I'll drop that. But um, anyway, I tried to like I keep forgetting that we're only doing one and not the other. We're talking um, about both episodes. Just jump ahead a little bit. What do you love? <laughs> I was just gonna say I love. Um, I believe it's in the Crossroads of Destiny when uh, May and Tylee are talking on the steps of the palace, and you're thinking, mm -hmm. "Oh my god, shut the fuck up! You're gonna blow it!" And then it turns out that they were purposely doing it. I'm like, "Oh, that's so good." It got me too. I was sitting there the entire time, and until Azula came out, mm. I was like, "Oh, oh they're yeah, not it, just being careless." It's all part of the plan. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> she is the Joker, and this is Gotham that she's taking over. Yeah, so we haven't really talked about. It's very minor, but we haven't talked about Zuko and Iroh in the Guru yet. It, it was so weird, but him being so dull and being just like, "Ah, Uncle." <laughs> I love you, Uncle. Let's make some tea, Uncle. And I was like, okay, I get you're a, a good guy now, but like, nah. <laughs> it's like, it's simultaneously both super wholesome and sweet, but at the same time kind of horrifying to see Zuko so happy, so at peace, and just smiling and hugging his uncle and just like being content with his life. Like, it's just so not him. And you're like, what have you done to Zuko? <laughs> You know, after you've had a fever, like, you know, the dehydration and the, the delirium, you know, like, it makes you a little, it makes you a little loopy sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Haven't you ever had, like, a 103-degree fever and the next day you're just like, I'm so happy you're all here that I lived to tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> um, not that I can recall, but... <laughs> um... <laughs> But yeah, no, I I think that it's it makes the what happens with him in the next episode just hurt that much more because you're like, damn it, you were in such a good place. We knew it wasn't going to last, but still it hurts so much. Yeah, so, it was good to see him in a place where he is loving life and loving where he's coming from, you know, or, or where he is, I mean. Uh, appreciating the apartment and 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 Uncle Iroh being there and the tea shop and just being happy and like he's really zen. He's yeah. he's just forgotten everything else. 
yeah which is just again you're like oh that's really I'm really happy for you but at the same time I'm kind of horrified because this is not you Um, yeah yeah so overall what would you unless you had something else to say about the episode oh no 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 no. I mean we're already we're already like leaning over into the next episode (laughs) seat like we're ready to get into it because there's a lot in the next episode (laughs) boy oh boy um I mean, this episode's good. Um, episode's good. I, I, it gets a lot of big points. It gets a lot of big points for the Gurupathik thing with with the chakra. That's mm-hmm. a real big highlight of the episode for me. Um, it definitely brings up the watchability because all of the action in the episode is just kind of transition, bringing us toward the finale. Um, I give it a solid. I mean, I give it a solid eight point nine. Okay, not bad. I think I'm going to go with just a solid 9 out of 10 because um, while I think that it is a really good, um, I guess, what is it, pre-finale episode? (laughs) I can't Mm -hmm. remember what the word is. Um, But uh, I think that it sets up a lot of stuff that obviously comes to fruition in the finale. Um, I love all the chakras stuff and, um, you know, where we leave off all the characters by the end of the episode, like I said, leading into the finale. So. yeah, I'll, I'll give it a 9 out of 10. It's a very solid episode. Yeah. I was just giving it the 8.9 to be contrary. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> but this takes us to episode 20, The Crossroads of Destiny. It is written by Aaron Ihaj, and it's directed by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konietzko. It is animated by JM Animation. And I gotta stop right here. Why in the world did you have the crummiest animation in all of season two for the finale of what all things? What? The episode has such basic animation and so much of it. I was like, I was appalled. <laughs> I was so surprised. Um, okay. Interesting take. Uh, <laughs> I, like, okay. So, like, no, seriously, like, so much stuff, like, so much, especially the first, like, mostly the first half of the episode, like, the fa- the poses were really wooden, and I was like, is this a season finale? I was just surprised. Like, compared to the episodes with, like, Jet, I was like, they, they didn't dig out, like, the highest grade animators for this one? No? Okay. I think all the animation went into the final fight. Like, that's, that's where all the budget was. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know? But, like... It wasn't the sharpest animation for like the majority of the episode. And I was just like, like, there's gotta be, and I know like in a lot of animation series, there's usually one person who like keys the really, really good stuff in the animated shows. And like I didn't see almost any of like their keyframes or work in this episode. So I mean, unless behind the scenes they were working, I was just like, I didn't see the animation I was kind of hoping for. Animation like like Jet or like the other ones where I've really gone out of my way to point out how good the animation was. I mean, the action is great. I just wish that the the highest grade animator was on it. I was just kind of surprised that for something as big as season two finale, it just wasn't there. Hmm, interesting um just since we're on the animation actually when we get to season three since that'll be the next uh podcast episode um it's actually two new animation houses so really yeah and don't worry they are like this is like peak animation for avatar season three like they 
really put the budget into the animation for pretty much oh. all the episodes. Um, they all look great. Um, Cause you know how there'll be certain episodes throughout season one, season two, that you can definitely tell are lower grade animation. Like, you know, whether it's the, you know, the actual movement is stilted or the character models feel off or whatever it is. Um, you don't have that at all in season three. It is like, it looks gorgeous across the board, which is awesome for people like us that really like animation. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. I am excited for that. I didn't know that. So, uh, the episode aired December first, two thousand and six. As we said, the same day as the previous one, they aired together, and the IMDb rating of the Crossroads of Destiny is a whopping nine point six out of ten. Mm-hmm. One of the highest. I I feel like I've said that a lot recently, but it is one of the highest that we've re- that we've reviewed so far. We have had a big chain of really, really high review ones. And you did tell us that when we were going to season two, that this was your favorite season and some of your, your favorite episodes were in this. So mm-hmm. we'll take us away with some fun facts. <laughs> that, was <insane. laughs> that was a great transition. <laughs> <laughs> you told us we'd be in for a lot of fun. So take us away with some fun facts. That there we, better... we go. <laughs> Um, and this is not really a fun fact, but this is the last episode in which Mako Iwamatsu, I'm so sorry if I betchered that, but Mako voices uh, Iroh. Um, oh. Yeah. And especially yeah. given how his story ends with this season, it's just so sad. Um, well, and, and it's so nice, though, that he has so many, like, I feel like, especially in the last couple of episodes of this one, too, like, he has something quotable, some quotable wisdom of Iroh's, like, in every episode. There's, like, a uh, put that yeah. on a t-shirt, just... Yeah, no, and I remember saying in the uh, early episodes of season two, when we were reviewing, um, that, you know, Iroh and Zuko were used sparingly, but in the later half of the season, they were used a lot more, and a lot, like, there was a lot of story with them, and so... I am so glad that they, you know, used more of Mako, or not Mako, um, Iroh and Zuko in the later half of the season. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's still sad that, you know, this was the final episode, but, um, you know, rest in peace, Mako, dearly missed. Mm-hmm. Um, so our second fun fact is that this is the first time in the series when we've seen a character other than Zuko himself touch his scar. Um, this had... Little me shooketh. <laughs> this had the Zatara shipper in me quaking. Yeah, me too. Yeah, right. This is literally like we'll get into it, but this is literally the hand touching seed in the hut in the last Jedi. Yeah, like, I gotta tell you, like Aang and Katara are real cute and everything, but um I know it doesn't happen, but I'm still hanging on to the Zatara ship. I, I, right. I'm still on board. I'm still on board the ship. I have not abandoned it yet. Right. We are the captains. We go down with the ship. <laughs> um, uh, the third fun fact is the way Katara holds Aang after he's been struck down by Zula's lightning great re- blech, greatly resembles La Pieta, a famous sculpture of the Virgin Mary holding Jesus after he's brought down from the crucifix. This also emphasizes how Aang's death by Azula in the subsequent revival by Katara parallels the Christian story of the world savior dying and being resurrected. So in case there was any doubt in your mind, yes, Aang did die. Like some people thought that he was just like gravely injured. No, they actually confirm in season three that he died. (laughs) And I'm like, that is so ballsy. Okay, so I'm straight out the gate with this. The, the, the starting bell has rung and I'm out because this transitions me into two big things I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So my notes are a disaster area. I already told you this <laughs> yes. before the podcast started. Like, I, I'm all over the place with this. But 
So I'm going to be crossing things off <laughs> while we're going so I don't repeat them because I have so many things to talk about. Okay. So going back to both the second and third fun facts here about Zuko and Katara touching his scar and then the healing that brings Aang, you confirmed it, back to life. Yes. After that, I had this moment at the end of the episode where I go, and you almost used that to heal the hot guy's scar? <laughs> right? Are you serious right now? I think that what's awesome, what's awesome in this episode is that the episode single-handedly sets up this Aang, Zuko, Katara triangle. And the the water, with the special properties that she's been holding on to this whole time is like, I don't know, her heart or like whatever you want to call it. That it's like metaphorical and she almost gives it to Zuko. But no, <laughs> but no, we know who her heart really belongs to at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Darn it. <laughs> and yeah, no, it it's a very surprisingly like intimate scene between her and Zuko and they totally did on purpose because they knew um, after season one's reception they knew that a lot of people were shipping Zuko and Katara and so they they purposely like they sandbag us and make us like oh it could happen they've had all these moments (laughs) even in season three uh yeah there's lots of moments in season three and it nope it never happens (laughs) it makes me so mad but they knew about it. And I believe, I can't remember which writer it was. It was either Aaron Ehaj or Tim Hedrick. But one of them was actually a really big Zatara shipper. They wanted that to be the end game. So, but uh, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitzko were like, no, end game is Aang. Like it was always meant to be Aang. So that didn't end up happening. But they still wanted to sprinkle a little bit of like, you know, hope in there for us. The crumb. A little something for you to enjoy. It's not going to happen, but like here's something so that it's canon that it could have happened. Right, exactly. But it's canon that it didn't happen. Yeah. Isn't going to happen. Darn it. And I know Uh, it sucks. Um, But speaking about the water, just real quick before we move on from that. I always thought, even now, I think, after seeing the show a million times, that it's such a brilliant red herring. When you think that she's going to use the water on Zuko, and because you know, you even picked up on it um, in the first episode of this season when Paco gives, or Paco gives her the water. You're like, huh, I wonder if that's going to come back. And I was like, I don't know, maybe. Uh and so it reminds me it reminds me of the what is it like is it from kingdom hearts with like mickey mouse leaning toward the camera she's like it's a special thing that'll help us later on right? <laughs> that <meme. Exactly. laughs> um so like i love that they bring it out you know or katara brings it out to possibly help heal zuko's scar and like you're thinking oh this is why she has it like this is what it's going to be used for but then it's not And then you're like, oh, well, maybe she'll use it in a different season or a different episode. But then she uses it in the same episode for something completely different with Aang's injury. And I think it's just a really good red herring and kind of subverting of expectations and kind of Chekhov's gun type of thing, um, which I really like. They pulled a bit of a Monty Python on us. They're like, and now for something completely different, he uses it on his his wound instead. Oh, yes. The Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. (laughs) joke (laughs) i love that joke bless this holy healing water (laughs) yeah oh lord (laughs) oh it's so funny 
it shall be applied to the scar on the left side, never the right. <laughs> right. Right is straight out. <laughs> right is straight out, yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> stupid. I love it. Oh, I yeah. love it. I anyway. also love that you love Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> we learned oh, yeah. something about each other today. Yes. Oh, my oh, gosh. I love that. Life of Brian, Monty Python, Holy Grail. Like, hell yeah. Uh, anyway... <laughs> Um, now I need a Monty Python uh, avatar crossover. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we gotta get back on track because <laughs> we could go. Do we? Forever. Do we though? Oh yeah, that's right. We do. Uh, let's see. Where was I? Oh yeah, that's right. So the love triangle though. Um, <laughs> but I'm really interested to see if this is the end of it. Well, I have to cross it off my notes. <laughs> I need to. I don't believe that this is the end of the love triangle, especially since you've now tantalized me with the forbidden fruit. That <laughs> in season three, there's more Zatara stuff. I need more, Amanda. I can't just be teased <laughs> like this. Right? Eon, why are you so cruel? <laughs> well, I mean, literally the last shot that we see of that scene with her and uh, Zuko in the cave when um, Iroh and Aang come to save them. You know, Aang's walking out the tunnel and Katara's following behind him, but she looks back at Zuko. And and I'm like She loves him. She loves him. <laughs> you just shook the camera. <laughs> Listen to me. <laughs> yeah, no. But I love that like it's not even that it's like, oh, it's like fan shipping, whatever, but it's like they genuinely have a lot in common that they didn't even realize before this moment, you know, when Zuko brings up his mom and well, actually, sorry, Katara brings up her mom and then Zuko in turn brings his up and how, yeah, the Fire Nation basically screwed them both in that department. Um, you know, it, I think that that really opens Katara's eyes to like, yeah, she's not the only one that's been hurt by the Fire Nation and by this war that like it has affected everybody, even people in the Fire mm -hmm. Nation. And I yeah. think that's a really big moment for her and a big realization. Um, and same for Zuko, like the fact that he didn't know about Katara's mother and that he used the necklace, you know, Katara's necklace um, in the first season without realizing the significance of that necklace to her, like, you know, it's it just really all comes together so beautifully in this very, like I said, emotional and intimate scene. Um, and the fact that she feels like secure enough with him in this, you know, catacomb to offer to heal his scar, not knowing if it's going to work and basically wasting, quote unquote, the uh, the water. I was going to say the holy water, dear God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the holy hand grenade of Antioch. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah and that she was gonna do that and the only thing that stopped her was ang and iroh bursting and literally bursting in the room just like luke does in the hut in the last jedi just <laughs> breaking scene. it oh. yes it's even the uncle is luke like, uncle iroh yes of course he is oh man and <laughs> ang is uh finn oh my gosh they always ruining their moments right he's just like katara just like screaming <laughs> what yes <laughs> speaking of scars may i just say how in the world did they think that they were going to go and serve tea to the earth king and nobody recognized prince zuko's <laughs> scar well to be fair nobody has recognized his scar in bossing i mean he's been all the way at the bottom of the ring and now he's at the top of the ring and nobody has done anything about him or iroh or anything so like well 
Okay, but, like, when you're down there in, like, the lowest strata of sediment in the Dirt Kingdom, like, these people haven't even probably been outside bossing, say, in, like, their entire lives. But, like, they don't know that the military commanders or the dignitaries of the court or, like, the king himself wouldn't know the face of their enemy's son. Like, really? He well, wouldn't recognize him? Okay, this is one of those, and we've talked about this during the Zuko Alone episode, um, but this is one of those, it doesn't break the world or anything by any means, but it is a plot consistent inconsistency, I should say, um, in that, you know, this random stranger in this backwater town knows who Zuko is just based off of his scar and he's heard the backstory, but Zuko's own crew and the majority of everybody else in the world has no idea about what happened to Zuko or who he is or whatever. So like, if you just take out that one outlier, then it makes sense that like, yeah, people just don't know that Zuko is the burn disgrace Prince of the fire nation. Um, so it doesn't, again, it's not world breaking or anything, but like it is a, I wish that they hadn't had that in the episode Zuko alone, just because it does kind of, right. Like, how is that? How does that work? <laughs> like, Alpha moves there, Zuko. Alpha moves. <laughs> Respect it. Walks in, says his name is Prince Zuko, serves tea, <laughs> refuses to elaborate, Please. leaves. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, honestly, if we're just thinking about the world that we've established for Avatar, it would make more sense that Iroh would be recognized because Iroh is famously the one that nearly broke into Bossing Say in the, you know, however month-long scene. And, and in the flashbacks, he looks exactly the same as he does now. Yeah, just like a little, you know, his hair's not as gray. So it's like, if anything, he would be a war criminal to Bossing Say, and the Dai Li would be like immediately snatching him up, being like, um, hi, Dragon of the West. What are you doing here? How did you get in here? Like, um, you know, so if anything, that makes less sense to me than Zuko, but... And I was just a little bit like, you guys aren't even questioning this? Not even a little bit? Okay. <laughs> We're all caught. Having... They're caught. They're caught up in the, the ecstasy of having this tea shop. It's like a say, dream. They're having a really good day. Don't ruin it for them. <laughs> like... Just have a really good pot of tea. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Tough going God mode was awesome. <laughs> top going god what do you mean well she like rips her way out of the metal cage she's in and then she sticks the other guys in the cage and then she's riding this way she's just like peace out guys see you later earth kingdom and just like takes <laughs> off on like a tidal wave of dirt yep perfect top style <laughs> <laughs> that was great but i gotta say i also love how they swing in on appa next to her and they were just like hey need a ride she can't feel them because they're flying through there they just yeah. scare her and she falls off yep yeah <laughs> straight on her face did she get captured with the rest of them did she get captured yeah yeah, remember um, her and Sokka and uh, the Earth King, they all get captured by Mei and Tai Lee, and she has to break them out of the prison by ripping Oh, that's them right. She went down because they chi blocked her, mm -hmm. and she fell over. I forgot about that. Because I was like, man, how did they do that? Yeah, they got out of the yeah. cell like, instantly, of course, but... I love that they were just waiting where there weren't any guards. <laughs> like, they knew that they were going to get out. <laughs> 
Although I'm surprised that um, Sokka wasn't like, uh, when did you learn to do that? <laughs> like, he was just like, he had no reaction. He's just like, yep, that's just tough. Let's go. <laughs> like, just... At this point, should anything the Benders do surprise Sokka at all? Uh, yeah, honestly, he's just like, yeah, it's another Tuesday. It's whatever. <laughs> but as long as we're on the feet of the Benders, how about that final battle, mm-hmm. though? It is a very, very cool, very cool setting. I love having, you know, uh, Zuko and Azula versus Aang and Katara. And that the fact that they pair off uh, for ma- the majority of the fight, Zuko and Katara and Aang and Z- um, Azula. Um, yeah, it's it's really, really cool. I just love the different uses of all the elements. And yeah, like Aang using all three that he knows, you know, the earth, uh, air, and water. Um Katara owning Azula, I love that. Because, like, again, they're the same age and they're both prodigies. Just, like, well, I wouldn't even say that because I don't think Katara is a prodigy. I think she's just a really, really fast learner. Like, because when we first saw her, you know, she could barely lift a fish out of the water. And now she's a full-blown master at 14 after, you know, a year of studying under, you know, various people and masters and the waterbending scrolls. So, yeah. So my sister and I were having this real interesting conversation the other day because my sister's a big fan of music and, 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 and so am I. I forget exactly how it came out, but we were talking about Taylor Swift. And then we were talking about in interviews with her about her songwriting process. And we started talking about Lady Gaga and her songwriting proce- process. And we were talking about how incredibly different they are from each other. You'll see where I'm going with this in a minute. Mm-hmm. Because Lady Gaga can get inspiration and just write and just boom and she just it's effortless yeah she can analyze the way that she puts a song together but it just comes to her and boom it winds up on paper and and it's it's she's she's a prodigy she's a musical prodigy Mm -hmm. taylor swift is like sitting at the top of of the throne of pop music she's like the pop music artist but her process for her creating her music is completely different and she accomplishes it through really meticulous hard work and like writing and rewriting things and working really really hard it isn't like lady gaga who's a prodigy in this case azula who is a master of her art because it's come to her as naturally as breathing or getting a really cool idea and bang it just comes out on paper and Mm -hmm. then comes out in music katara is more like taylor swift where she gets her the thing that she wants to be good at and then just works super hard at it and achieves the greatness and the, the level of skill and mastery that she has with it because of dedicated hard work not because it comes easy but because it's hard and she's willing to work at it so like on the same way that i i look and say taylor swift works so hard and her music is amazing to see that work ethic in katara come out and her bending to match against azula and be kicking her around yeah it's awesome yeah no it's hard work i love to see it um (laughs) the fight choreography the animation the i love the setting the uh the crystal catacombs with the sort of green tinge to it it's very cool looking um and then of course the big the big big finale um when ang finally decides to let katara go unleash his worldly tethers and then go full sicko mode into the avatar state um and then, yeah, how shocking, pun intended, um, 
yeah, it's my turn to make a pun. <laughs> Deal with How did you become me this episode? I haven't made one pun this entire time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let me tell you, this was one of the most, and I, I do mean the shocking things I'd seen. This was like my red wedding. Like that's how shocking this was to me as a kid, because you have to keep in mind, I was eight years old when this came out. And mm -hmm. like, I adored this show. I had watched it all the way through up to this point. And I really thought this was going to be a big heroic, like he's going to go into the Avatar state and he's going to just kick everyone's ass. And, you know, he's going to send the Fire Nation running, including Zuko and uh, Azula. And then just, I got the rug completely pulled out from under me and just one fell swoop. Like, it was so traumatic to see, like, the shot of Aang being shot full of lightning and then the the kind of pan out from Azula's eyes as she's watching him literally twitch, like his body midair twitching with this lightning and then him falling. And you see not only does he have this really gruesome, you know, scar, which stays there for the rest of the series, by the way, um, on his oh, back. Wow. Yeah, they don't shy away. This shit, oh my God. It's so like visceral. Um, but also as he's falling, you can see that he has a sore or not a sore, but like a uh, scar on his foot, which also stays there because anybody that understands how lightning works, lightning has mm -hmm. to hit the ground. It has to go through the lowest point to the ground, which would be his foot. So you see that there's a scar. That's great continuity. And just like, like, thinking about that like yeah where would the lightning exit out of his body through his foot so mm -hmm. it's just like oh god it, it gives me chills just thinking back to like how i just was staring in absolute horror at my screen as this was happening and as he died like he was dead like i can't believe that they actually did that and that they confirm it in season three in the first episode that yeah he didn't just get hurt he died and that Katara. Mm -hmm if she hadn't had the water, he would have stayed dead. And therefore the avatar cycle would have ended because he was in the avatar state. <laughs> like it's, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. Um, I was going to say it is super, super brutal. I loved the, the way that they depicted it is showing how Azula is responsible for it by showing it in her eye mm -hmm. and seeing the lightning almost like a, uh, what do they call it? Like a Tesla, Tesla bubble mm -hmm. with like all the electricity on the inside of it. And then him in the center and immediately, you know, what's happening to him and who's responsible for it. And you're like, no, this is exactly what you're not supposed to do. Die in the Avatar state. Yep. And just seeing his like cosmic form just fall out of the sky, and like you're just like, oh my god, oh my fucking god, he fucking dead. <laughs> like, it is that? It oh, is he dead. He dead for sure. I was gonna say, yo, <laughs> that was literally <laughs> me. It's like no, <laughs> yeah, it was. It oh was boy, shocking. Like. And to think that we had to wait over a year to find out what was going to happen next. Like, obviously, we don't have to wait that long now, thank God. But, like, oh, yeah. man. Uh, one week, yeah, a week. Yeah. <laughs> but, man, it was it was hard. Can you imagine? I kind of wish that they'd done this in hindsight. This would have made it, like, mwah, chef's kiss. But can you imagine the absolute titanic balls that Nickelodeon would have had if they had not had that shot of him waking up because like we know that he's not fine but that he's alive at least at the end of the episode because he like wakes up he smiles and then you know katara hugs him um but can you imagine if it, he did it if we didn't have that reaffirming shot 
it's literally the last shot was him like lying against Appa and they're flying off. Like that's it. <laughs> just like wait, what? A, a, adult us is like that would be cool, but then there's the part that remembers the show was for kids, and we're like <laughs> there would be kids crying in their households. Parents yeah. would be writing Nickelodeon complaining that you murdered the, the character. My kid can't can't has to stay from school. Yeah, right. It you can't kill him off. You have to show he's alive. Yeah, but man, like I'm sure that somebody has put together. I'm sure someone's cut together that scene cutting out the healing section and him waking up because like that just would have been just devastating. I mean, it already was devastating, but that would have just been, whoo, wow. <laughs> well, you know, in exactly as you said, in the spirit of, of uh, imitation being the sincerest form of flattery here, uh, it really is like the Empire Strikes Back. It's kind of what I imagine it must have been like for kids in the 80s. I mean, I was born in 85, so all the movies... I may be an old guy, but even I wasn't around when that when that really old movie, The Empire Strikes Back, isn't that how Peter Parker put it? Yeah. You know, there were people who were kids then, who were in grade school, who went to go see Luke Skywalker beat Darth Vader in the sequel, and there he is! And the next, like, Oops. 20 minutes is just <laughs> Luke getting the snot beat out of him on Cloud City. Yeah, and then Han being taken by Boba Fett, and, you know, just generally not a good vibe. Like, just yeah. kind of an unhappy yeah. ending. Yeah, it's kind of a bad time. Yeah, imagine if like Luke fell off the bottom of Cloud City and they caught him in the Falcon, put him in the healing bay, and we just never saw for the rest of the movie if he was like okay, if he was alive, if they ever fixed his hand. Like, eh, that's it. Just the end. It just ends with Vader yep. looking out the window. That's pretty much what you're proposing. Basically, yeah. <laughs> the script bender strikes again. So we kind of, as per usual, we start with the ending and work our way forward. Um, <laughs> I absolutely love, uh, like, Azula in this entire episode is just the most badass thing ever. When she and Long Fang have their little back and forth, um, one of my favorite lines of hers is in, is in that scene. The, uh, you know, Long Fang, he basically, like, kneels to her and he's like, yeah, you know, you've beaten me in my own game. She says, don't flatter yourself. You are never even a player. I'm like, that is so awesome. Oh, my God. I I'm can't. like dude you got beat by a 14 year old right <laughs> yeah don't underestimate her um that's just a whole great scene um i love that i don't know if you noticed this but in the scene where um sokka katara or not sorry sokka toff and ang go back to their house when they enter you can see on the side that they starting to rebuild <laughs> the house from where oh i missed that <laughs> yeah no i'm like again that's such a small continuity thing but that is so fucking funny that they're like rebuilding the house the wall that she broke down oh my god it's so funny um and the fact that iroh goes to them and because we know that toff knows iroh and i love that they're like what well, you know each other <laughs> like it's just a really good like yeah that's right they do know each other um, it was back there a while, so it was a cool thing for them to throw back to that. And I was like, "Oh, that's right, they do know each other. That's cool." <laughs> right? Um, yeah. I don't know what else is there to talk about. Did you have any other notes that you? Um, for me, I kind of wish that the episode was longer because there are some points of the plot that are really hurried through, 
And I get that, like, we don't need more in some ways, but I do feel like some parts were a little hurried through. I feel like a little bit like the capture of of the the hero group when they were going through happened a little fast for me. I mean, again, I get it, but it happened, some of the plot points happened was so quickly and so conveniently that I'm reminded really loudly that it's a kid show, and so I'm just like, ah, of course, of course, it's going to work that way, and of course they're going to get out of it real fast. Um, one in particular that like happened and i felt a little and this is gonna sound so bad because it's so close to like so big heartbreaking events mm-hmm. i felt a bit of anti-climax when there's okay there's the setup <laughs> where ang gets hurt and katara has her Lapieta moment with him. Mm-hmm. And then Uncle Iroh just like, boom, don't worry, I'll hold them off. You get out. And he's holding off, like, Zuko and, like, Az- Azula, who, like, barely anybody can one-on-one. And we just see him kind of poof, poof, poof. And it's that easy. He just, like, holds them off for, like, five seconds while Katara swirls away. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's it. <laughs> I was actually really let down by that. I get it. By that point, the whole point isn't to watch him fight them. But I'm like, how in the world are you fighting them? How are you holding off like any of these these Earth the 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 Dialee that might be still up and standing? Which I'm pretty sure there were quite a bunch of them still up at that point. Mm-hmm. How are you not immediately engulfed in like rock and fire? Now, I mean, I get it. Like he has to get them out because the heroes have to escape. He was a little engineered because I'm like, I think at that point I was like, how many other good guys can pop in and help them at this point? I almost thought Toph was going to pop in because she wasn't a part of anything and she's already in God mode already. Mm-hmm. I thought she was going to come in and tank them and like help everybody get out. But no, Iroh, mm-hmm. and for dramatic effect, it's the right choice. But like, I wanted to see him whip out some cool moves. Heck, he even did the dragon thing where he spits the flame out of his mouth earlier. Mm-hmm. And now he just kind of lands and does the boof, boof. Like Zuko used to do that. <laughs> I don't know. It well, left it a little flat for me. I get that we were supposed to just be happy he was there while they escaped. But I was like, I want to see him like do some cool stuff. Show how he's holding them off. Well, to be fair, I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, but to be fair he wasn't trying to fight them. He was just trying to hold them off, like you said, and so that they could escape. Um, and you have to remember, this is his niece and nephew. Like, this is his family. He's not going to try to hurt them or fight them for real. They clearly are not holding back. I mean, Azula just killed a 12-year-old kid with lightning. Right. That's really my only big negative about the episode. It has amazing dramatic stuff jaw-dropping moments but i really wish that it had a little more room to breathe because Mm -hmm. i feel like for me i feel like the dramatic effect of how many big dramatic beats they were hitting and so short and narrow and tight a spaced storytelling wise i feel like they had to make sacrifices where some things they were taking their a lot of time and attention on them but then other things which to me were just as significant like iroh jumping in i felt like it was like there for six seven seconds and then it was over just to make it happen i was like but that needed equal time too you guys can't pull out these like big 10 out of 10 drama moments and twists and twists and twists and then have some twists get a little bit of screen time and other ones it's like the focus of a whole scene mm-hmm. it, i felt like it needed it needed to be an hour it needed to be an hour i felt like it was just too it was a little too fast for me that that's totally valid um 
I just realized there's something that we haven't really discussed. Like we kind of talked about it, but like not really in depth. And that was Zuko. <laughs> like Because we have to save the best for last. How how was it for you? Because you were just talking about seeing his good side come out and then it being weird and then seeing that twist. Um, well, I wasn't shocked by it. I was just really disappointed by it, honestly. I I, re- I felt like, no, seriously, I felt like the disappointed Uncle Iroh at his decision because, like, he was right there. He could have, you know, this could have been his turning point um, in the series. But I think that they made the right decision and had it not be. Um, so, because it would have been really good, but I feel like it hits a lot harder in season three when he finally does turn because you have to go through the the worst of a character for the redemption to like really hit, you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. So this is like him at his worst. This is when he betrays the one person that has always been at his side through thick and thin, no matter what, this is the final straw that breaks the camel's back for, for like me, for him. I'm like, you do not. That is the one thing you can, you can chase down Aang and Katara and the gang and all of them all you want. But the second that you double cross uncle Iroh, that is like unforgivable. (laughs) (laughs) and so yeah it's really hard and I was just so mad at him and disappointed and so yeah it's it's not that I didn't see it coming I could see it coming a mile away um the second it again much like when um when Aang kind of came back into his life in the previous episode and he kind of reverted back to that angry Zuko facade um the same thing happened when Azula came into his life like he gets triggered by these people <laughs> to being the worst version yeah. of himself. Um, I'm glad they're keeping his arc complex because I was really let down if this whole like transformation of his character just overnight, literally overnight, like changed him into like, oh, now he's a good guy, Zuko. Mm-hmm. And so there's part of me that's like, oh yeah, well he's he's kind of the same old Zuko, like you said, he keeps getting triggered back to all these things. But then there was another part of me that held on to the, well, what if he's just, like, his long game is to, like, stab them in the back and, and topple Azula, and maybe not necessarily to help Aang and the others, but, like, just to defeat Azula because she's a jerk, mm-hmm. you know? She's a jerk. I get lightly. <laughs> but... You know, so I was wondering if maybe he was faking it for the entire fight. Like, oh, I'll fight them. And at the last second, I was wondering if to help them escape, if Zuko was going to turn and boom, Azula with the fire. And that's how Aang and Katara were going to get out. But no, he stuck to his guns the entire way. Like, he he hung out, hung on to it the entire time. Um, so by the end of it, I was like, okay, I guess he wasn't tricking her because we've seen her trick people by like telling them things that they want to hear and like you know accidentally letting things slip like we've seen mm-hmm. her do that and i was like is zuko going to beat her at her her own game mm-hmm. but no apparently not um and so it is interesting to see him now coming to a point where what good was all that what was this metamorphosis and i think it's i what i anticipate myself so don't tell me if i'm right or wrong but what i anticipate for season three is that it might give him more of a struggle about it where in season one season one zuko would have had no problem would have gone along with it never felt bad about it never second guessed himself i'm wondering if zuko's going to come into season three having done the worst things but now have this sort of good zuko on his shoulder being like you shouldn't have done that 
you shouldn't have done that. You did a bad thing, and now you have to make up for it. Come on, we can do better than this. And being like, shut up. <laughs> no, no, no. He's got a point. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm wondering. I'm wondering if that's what we're going to wind up with. Because all of this whole, you know, him having a metamorphosis and becoming a new person, like, that's got to count for something. That could have just been, a, you know, a, a big juke on the part of the writers and throw us all off. Like, that's got to stand for something. So I, I, the good Zuko is in there somewhere. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> he's he's got, he's good on the inside, as Uncle Iroh said to Sokka. Why don't you come back when he's good on the outside too? <laughs> <laughs> and who knows? Maybe that'll be our our season three before you know it. I'm just I know what's going to happen. I just don't know how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or like what the catalyst will be for that change. Like what what's going to be right. if. If Katara reaching out to him and offering to, you know, heal his scar and like make amends and all that doesn't do it for him and like kind of break him of this, you know, evil, not evil, but like, you know, angry cycle of chasing the avatar, what will? Like, what is going to be the thing that causes him to, you know, decide, hey, yeah, I'm done with this. Like, I'm done with this life that I've been chasing after all this, you know, these past three years. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's part of what makes season three so awesome is we get to see that, you know, that kind of break away, him break away from this life that he is now won back, you know, this royal life. Um, and for me, it's it's interesting. And I love the um, the visuals that they use for when he's trying to, like, decide before the fight starts, how it cuts from his non-burn side to his burn side and then to his mm-hmm. back as he just kind of bows his head as he's made his decision. Like it's, it, you don't, he doesn't say anything, but again, you kind of can just feel the conflict. <laughs> I feel the conflict. Mm-hmm. In um, <laughs> and speaking of that, just real quick, I have to compare to my boy, my King Kylo Ren, because again, this is literally the template that they used for his character. So you got season one, slash The Force Awakens, Kylo Ren slash Zuko, angry prince, prince of darkness, like just, he is so dead set on finding this mythical being. (laughs) And like that, he's basically fully evil with like hints, just minor hints that maybe there's something more to him. Maybe he's not fully evil, but he is 100% the villain of the first part. You get to the second part, And now he's very conflicted. Like we get to see different sides of him. We get to learn more about his backstory. Um, And he suddenly becomes not just this villain, but like this super like deep character that has a lot of conflict and like isn't sure what he wants anymore. Um, And he starts to just, we deconstruct him in a way. And the way that they both end, you know, in The Last Jedi and The Crossroads of Destiny is the exact same place. You have a moment where you think this could be where he like fully turns good with, you know, Kylo Ren. It's his proposal to Rey. And then for uh, Zuko, it's him and Katara's scene. But, and, you know, you have that moment of like, this is it. And then, nope, he completely reverts back to his old ways and disappoints the female character majorly um, who thought that he had changed and is left in a huge position of power, you know, because now, now he's regained his honor. He has regained his Fire Nation status as the prince. And he and Azula have taken over the Earth Kingdom. Same with Kylo Ren, who now has lost everything, but he's also gained the role of Supreme Leader. It is the exact same thing. 
<laughs> I'm telling you. So yeah, and obviously we'll get more into it in season three with his redemption, but um, yeah, so it's just, it's so shocking to me, like how beat for beat these characters have the exact same arc up until season three slash um, The Rise of Skywalker, which we don't talk about. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I swear to you, if Zuko dies at the end of the <laughs> Saving Katara. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> oh, my. Uh... <laughs> no, it's my ass. Um, <sighs> but uh, yeah, so. <laughs> they're very similar story beats and i just i i love looking at that and i could i probably will in the future do an entire like two hour long dissertation on how you know the beats are the exact same and like breaking down the characters each movie slash season like just doing a whole comparison <laughs> corporate wants you to tell the difference between these two pictures zuko and kylo ren they're the same picture <laughs> <laughs> they are. And that's why they are literally my favorite characters of all time. Both of them. They're great. They're great characters. I'm really, really hoping that they don't follow the exact same arc all the way to the end. Mm. I'm not looking at your face while I say this. <laughs> I'm not looking at you. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Listening. Not listening. Oh, gosh. And so normally I'd say, wow, I can't wait to see what the next episode holds. But now, especially with that on that beat, like I'm amped for season three. I was about to threaten to like just binge <laughs> all of season three tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Look with that. You're going to be like, oh my God, so much happened. Because yeah, the anticipation is extremely high now for season three for me, because how am I going to bounce back? Is the Fire Nation... I mean, let's not forget that like Sokka's dad and the the the, the water tribe ships are about to go and attack Fire Nation vessels. What's going to happen? Is this another loss? Is this a win about to happen? Are we bouncing back right away, or is there even more that has to be taken from us before our heroes finally take down Fire Lord Ozai? Not to mention that Azula and May and Tylee know about the invasion. So, what's going to happen then? <laughs> There's so much up in the it, air right now. There is. I, I seriously, like, if there's even one filler episode in all of season three, I would be like, how dare you? Where is our story? How can you even think of filler at a time like this? I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah, so so the anticipation is up very, very high. It's hard to rate this episode. Um, it's hard to rate this episode for me because, like I said, um, for me, the overall episode is, is real good. There's real big things that happen, great story beats, and so that's what I'm trying to focus on. For me, I am disappointed that, like, the sharpest anima animation just didn't show up for this. I, I mean, it, it's not the worst animation of the series, but, like, a lot of it's kind of wooden. Um, and a lot of the best, even choreography it, or, and stuff is just saved for the end fight. Um... But again, it's not on the level of Jet and some other real good episodes we've seen before. Jet being like an example of some of just the best. Mm -hmm. um, or even just the season one finale. I was just surprised by that. Um, and the fact that there was a lot happening, but I, I, it was really fast-paced by necessity. But I was kind of like, oh, I wish they'd spent more time on this and, and that here and there. Um, it is going to get a little bit of a, of, of a knockdown for me. Um I said it's hard to rate it. So many good things happen. Um, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna stick to a solid nine out of ten. 
I'm going to stick to a solid 9 out of 10 for me on this one. I hoped for better. The good stuff was really good, but just overall, I was like, is there more? I just really wish that all of the big plot twists and dramatic stuff had enough room, mm -hmm. but still just an awesome episode. So 9 out of 10 for me. I'm going to have to give it the same. Um, I I agree with pretty much everything that you said about, you know, I wish that it was longer. I do wish that it was a two-parter plus the guru. Um, so I guess a three-parter at that point. Um, but uh, I think that it just, maybe it's just my nostalgia talking, but yeah, this episode was so shocking as a kid that like it, it automatically is like higher than it probably should be, <laughs> but it is a very good finale um it's it's not my favorite finale of this of the uh you know the show but um the season overall is my favorite as i've said multiple times so i'll probably just give it a nine out of ten as well same score as the guru because like i said they basically are a part one and part two and i think that they feed really yeah. well to each other um so yeah i am very very excited to see what you're gonna think of season three <laughs> um, me too there's a yeah. lot to look forward to so yeah yeah i i might need some i might need some uh some strong fortification for whatever's coming next because i have no idea where they're gonna go from here <laughs> oh you'll find out that's all for today to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode so feel free to leave a review or comment follow the podcast give us a good rating and all that good stuff you can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.